0: It is a genuine delight and joy that we each have this morning, as was already announced and mentioned, to gather on an occasion such as this one. Indeed, as was mentioned in the prayer, so much destruction, it seems, has come to the southeastern part of our country this past week. In addition to that, even locally, there's been deaths to those whom you and I know so so carefully and so cherishedly. And certainly we continue to think very greatly about all of those individuals and families who are rebuilding and those here who are facing the loss and the void that's now in their lives. Certainly as we're blessed this morning to be able to assemble and to gather like this, one of the things to be greatly noted is that announcement of our gospel meeting coming up ever so shortly and ever so quickly at this point. In fact, as you might have noted in the bulletin, that I chose that as basically the thrust of our lesson this morning. As was noted, you and I have now two weeks. That gospel meeting here at the Pippin Church begins two weeks from this morning. Brother Edward Anderson will be with us conducting, doing the speaking during the course of that meeting. And as surely as preparations and plans for well over a year now have been made for this eventuality, it has now come before us as we make some final preparations, not only congregationally but also individually, what might be some things that in fact could be remembered as you and I make preparation in these last few days for a successful gospel meeting? I would invite you as you give thought to some of these things this morning that there are things we each can do and things we each should do as we in fact make this the best gospel meeting that God would wish for in fact it to be. Along that line, some introductory thoughts might well be in order. In fact, as we've already noted, the nearness of this perhaps raises a number of questions, questions that deserve an answer. I've listed just a few of them there at the bottom. One might, in fact, appreciate by remembrance, well, what is a gospel meeting? Why does a congregation choose to have one? What preparations as a congregation might then be in order? Perhaps finally, what preparations personally would also thus be in order? You might take note that Brother Anderson sent us a letter, and Brother Roger read that before us last Lord's Day, encouraging us to make some matter of preparation. Not only will we recollect some of those things that he mentioned in that letter, but also ask what other specific things might you and I do to lift this gospel meeting to the placement that it shall be the matter of revival and the matter of productivity for the kingdom of God that it might in fact be. With those said, let's in fact turn our attention one at a time to those questions and use those as the bases for our lesson this morning. The first question was, what is a gospel meeting? I think it fair to notice in our attempt to answer that, that that phrase, gospel meeting, does not occur anywhere in the Word of God, either Old or New Testament. Hence, as one gives thought to finding a verse with that phrase in it, one will search in vain for it. But it is nonetheless safe and rather compelling to notice that the thrust, the meaning, the impetus of that phrase is written virtually in every verse of the New Testament. Because in fact, isn't it true, we can make statements much like this, that a gospel meeting, in fact, is a special occasion of focus on what? on the gospel, as the name suggests, with the objective to teach the lost and to edify the faithful. There certainly would be no harm in understanding the vitality of that kind of desire. Recall with me for just a moment some of the pieces found in the book of Acts. As Paul and Barnabas went on that first missionary journey... When they came to the city of Iconium in Acts 14, verses 1 and following, the opening verse of Acts 14 highlights the following thought. When they came to that location, that city of Iconium, into the synagogue they went. They preached to an assembly on that occasion. There were both Jews as well as Greeks present. And the text closes by saying, many of them believed that is similar to what your aim and mine would be for this gospel meeting. That there will be an assembly in which those will be present and preaching of the gospel will be done and made. And hopefully, there will be a large degree of belief upon that which is proclaimed and that which is declared. You'll notice just a few verses later in that same chapter, in verse 22 of the same chapter, on this occasion the city is different. Paul and Barnabas now had arrived at the cities of Lystra and Derbe and also they were on their way to a second Antioch. And on that occasion, the text again says that they reminded and proclaimed the character of God's gospel to them. And again, there was a great profit or benefit in regard to those who believed. Verse 27 of the same chapter highlights a very similar matter again. If we were to summarize some of that, we find that Paul and Barnabas, as they entered these various cities, they found not only the opportunity, but made, in fact, it a priority to preach the beautiful gospel of Christ to any number that they could, in fact, find assembled. And as they preached, they preached the nature not of Judaism, not of some antique religion, but they preached the blessedness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thankfully, there were many who faithfully responded. Isn't that our aim and our goal as well? Surely it is. Some additional statements might be in order because perhaps one final comment relative to it might be this. A gospel meeting is thus a series of assemblies in which that focus is nothing else and nothing more than the gospel. That word gospel means good news or glad tidings. And what better news is there than the fact that the Christ came and the fact that He paid the price for humanity's sin and the fact that by Him and through Him entrance into heaven can be understood and enjoyed. That message will be proclaimed loudly and clearly. And we would like for the building to be full. Not because it brings the attention to us, but because it brings the attention to the One who can save them. And who can, in fact, help them to appreciate what life here can be and to, in fact, make their way to that home in heaven? The thought of that gospel brings us then to the nature of evangelism. In fact, that's what we're going to strive to do. Jesus did say, didn't He, as He closed that Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, He said to go into all the world... "'Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, "'teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, "'and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world.'" Thus, there's a variety of teaching to be done. There will be teaching on the basic fundamentals of the gospel, but also to those more mature in the faith, there will be extended and more deep teaching to them so that they can mature and grow." Oh, how interesting it shall be to give thought to this especial effort, our effort to reach the lost, to edify those who are already the faithful. Inasmuch as that description of a gospel meeting is provided, where might it lead us next? Why do we have one? Someone might be quick to say, Well, we just always have one in the middle of May every year. It's just a tradition for the Pippin Church, just like maybe other congregations have somewhat what might be recorded as a tradition for them. But tradition is no good reason to have a gospel meeting. The time of year might be a fair thing to base on tradition if it's a successful time. But as far as having one to begin with, to in fact go through the planning stages and the efforts to bring that forth, it surely must be a better reason than just it's a ritual. It's a tradition. It's just something that we always do. The Bible makes note of a number of times when tradition was not a wholesome thing. Wasn't it true that Paul, in fact, in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, based on the matter of tradition, he arose above many who were his equals. Interestingly, Paul, in his brilliancy, was able to proceed much further in the Jewish religion, and he did much of it by tradition. But later he would say in 1 Timothy 1, verses 13 to 15, I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and I was the chiefest of sinners. Question, was Paul's tradition a good one at that early stage in his life? Merely to follow that which he had done, despite the fact that Christ had begun his preaching, was that a wise course of action? On that road to Damascus, when the master appeared to him, he said, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Why dost thou persecute me? The question was a profound one, wasn't it? And on that occasion, the man known as Saul had no good answer. He now stood face to face with the one he had opposed so greatly and the one he had so vehemently striven to bring to naught in fruition and to crush the banner that was his effort and his work. Now everything changed for that man known as Saul. Now he devoted the remainder of his days and all the energy available to him in the defense of that gospel and the proclamation of it in the earnest hope that he might save some. 1 Corinthians 9.23 Isn't it true that our mentality should be similar? should be similar for the character of this meeting. You'll notice furthermore that it's not merely a time for social gathering. It is likely the case that many of our brothers and sisters and surrounding congregations will support our meeting. They shall come and encourage and be ever so happy to hear the blessed news of the gospel yet again and be reminded of it. And we look forward to meeting with them and remaking acquaintance. But friend, that's not the most basic reason. We can see them in many other contexts and in many other ways. Might we go on to say this, making a name for ourselves is not our reason for having a gospel meeting. We would like the building to be full, but just so we can put the number 150 up on that board, it isn't the reason we have a gospel meeting. We hope there's that many, and we hope many of them aren't members of the church so they can be prompted and learn the message of truth and salvation. But the reason we have it is so that they can hear that message, not that we just have a big number to advertise, or a big number that we can perhaps proclaim ourselves successful just in that fact. Isn't it interesting that the reason we have a gospel meeting is prompted by that same issue with which Paul began the Roman letter. In verses 14 to 16 of Romans chapter 1, Paul sounded forth a clarion call that still rings so amazingly in our ears today. He began in verse 14 that, "...I am debtor to preach the gospel to the barbarians as well as those that are not, to the wise as well as those that are unwise, and furthermore I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also." In what way, Paul? Verse 16, he said, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." For it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. As that reading continues through verse 17, interestingly Paul said, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And if we aren't ashamed of it, we should in fact look forward to an opportunity in which we can resoundingly declare and proclaim and make it known to any who we can hopefully appreciate to come and listen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul went on to say, it, the gospel, is God's power to save. In a character of noting the neighborhood, the community, the lives of many people whom you and I know, Many of them are living lives that are a mess. They've done things, often in fact live in ways that God has condemned, and perhaps in their better moments they even realize that there's a problem. My life should be richer than this, better than this, more noble than this, filled with more happiness and contentment and satisfaction than this, and you and I have the answer. Or better yet, God has the answer. And this opportunity beginning two weeks from today will be in a special effort by us in order to send forth this message of hope and a message of truth and a message of realness into a world that so desperately needs it. Isn't it interesting in light of all of that, Paul, as he entered into these various cities, as knowledgeable as he was and as wise as he was, he had many things that perhaps might have been shared and yet... Through it all, the words beginning 1 Corinthians 2 perhaps say everything that needs to be said. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As Paul would stand before the various individuals gathered in these cities, He didn't lift high the banner of anything other than the gospel. And He says, The cross of Christ and all that surrounds the Messiah is that which is the centerpiece of my message. For it, in fact, is what is considered wisdom. The faith of men mustn't stand in the wisdom of men. It needs to stand in the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3. As you and I thus appreciate that, that does lead us to the next thought though. If these things certainly are the case, isn't it then interesting to note this? This gospel meeting will have that intention to stir the hearts of men and women and boys and girls to bring to a realization what's lacking in their lives, what's amiss in their lives, but for those that are faithful, to stir them to even greater thankfulness and appreciation to that on which they have based their life to this point it might well be stated that three categories might be in order. There are those who are alien sinners. They've never named the sweet name of Jesus as their Savior. To those in attendance, they will be prompted in urgency to think seriously about their condition and to render proper obedience and to begin a life built upon the rock of the Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and following, as well as 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 To those who have been members of the body of Christ, but who have ceased to be faithful, those in attendance in that category will be urged to realize the seriousness of their situation, that in their current state they are lost and that they need to return to the faithfulness of the fold of God. They shall do that by way of repentance, proper confession and prayer, and that will be urged upon any in that situation. But then... There are those who are the faithful, who have based their life at this moment in a faithful way upon full obedience to the commandments of the truth, and they will be continually able to drink deeply from the well of God's faith, and as such they will be continually strengthened yet again. Each category then will have individuals by virtue of this meeting that will be encouraged and edified appropriately. In light of that, this comment is in order. As we strive then to bring this gospel meeting soon to its reality, we should then notice that much preparation has already been made. This was, of course, the message that was written to us in that letter by Brother Anderson, and that was read last Lord's Day morning. As we give thought to this, what specific preparation has already been made? What preparation is yet to be made as a congregation? I've highlighted some of those thoughts this way. First and foremost, a speaker has been selected and a date, a set of dates, has been set aside. Again, for well over a year, those two things have been settled and recorded appropriately. In other words, this has not been just a momentary, fly-by-night, back-of-the-envelope arrangement. Things have been put in place a long time ago and hopefully those will be a part that redounds to the successfulness of it inasmuch as the glory of God shall be honored and exalted. Brother Edward Anderson, a fine gospel preacher, he has labored with the Carthage congregation for well over 30 years now. That congregation is well known for its soundness, its faithfulness, the character with which it stands in full support of the truth. And Brother Edward is very much gifted in his ability in plainness and straightforwardness, but yet in power and in compelling nature to set forth what is the truth of God. He can often do so in ways that are truly memorable and ways that will stick with you and me perhaps for years to come. I think we'll each be encouraged greatly by his presence, his faithfulness and his demeanor. He is a very humble man who has a love for the truth of God and for the souls of men as he brings that kind of fervor and earnestness and energy to us, how blessed that we should be able to hear the gospel proclaimed in that powerful and truthful way that it is. As you'll notice near the bottom, as he speaks, he again is an individual with that ability, not only to kindle one's interest in the lesson he's delivering, but to maintain it throughout the course of that lesson as well. Any speaker would hope to have such qualities, Brother Edwards certainly does. And all of that leads us to some additional preparations as a congregation that might be noted. It certainly is fair to say that even with his abilities noted and his capacity stated, he is not here to entertain us. He is not here to just fill a pulpit, deliver six lessons to us so that we can say that we've had a gospel meeting. He's here as an instrumentality of the way of God a proclaimer under the banner of those not unlike the great preachers of the ancient era of the long past. When men like Amos and Micah and others would boldly proclaim that which was the Word of God, and those like Peter and others in the New Testament era would do the same, He will stand before us, not inspired admittedly like they were, but nonetheless a proclaimer of that which is inspired, that which is the unadulterated and truthful revelation of God." It is a blessed occasion that you and I as fellow workers in the kingdom of God have the privilege of supporting a meeting like this one that's shortly to come. Inasmuch as we've set these matters aside, this week beginning two weeks from today, the 15th to the 18th of May, that does bring us to one last set of thoughts. Even aside from the congregational preparation, what about the personal preparation? Maybe it's time for us to be a bit personal about this. Randy, baby, what is your obligation to this meeting? And put your name in the sentence as well. What is my duty toward this meeting if it is to be the success that God would have it to be and the success that God would wish it to be? First of all, might we notice this. It's very important as we say at the outset of that part of this lesson today with preparation well over a year now and into advance, have we been praying for it? We've got two more weeks to include the meeting in our prayer and to do so with diligence and to do so with earnestness. If you and I are convicted and convinced that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, then what better item might we have at the top of our list at this point as we consider its hopeful success than to pray unto God that things, in fact, will come about that would honor and glorify Him. Among the matters we might pray for, pray for the speaker. Pray for Brother Edward as he prepares these lessons and as he delivers them, that he will, in fact, say those matters in all the careful truthfulness that would prick the hearts of those that are present. That it will be a series of lessons that will redound truly to the glory of God as there are personal responses to that which is uttered and proclaimed. In addition to Him, pray for all of us that as we're able to advertise it and speak to our friends and neighbors about it, that God will in fact lead us to those that will favorably respond to our invitation and that they in fact will come. Pray in addition that the things that take place, all the matters that would potentially be negative toward their minds, that those will be removed and that they will be intently able to earnestly listen to the lessons, to the singing, to the other things that take place. Pray also for those who will lead our singing. Pray for the others who will lead the matters of the public prayers. Pray that all those things will be done in such a way that truly the the effect will not be to glorify us, but to be to glorify God. As we pray for all those things, Notice that Paul urged that kind of prayer, didn't he? On more than one occasion. In Colossians 4, verses 1 and following, Paul said, Brethren, pray for us that the Word of God may have free course. May you and I at least have a semblance of that kind of wording in our prayer. That as Brother Anderson proclaims the truth to us, that it will have free course and that in the freeness with which it runs into the lives of those that are present, that responses will abound. Wasn't it true that as Paul urged those kinds of matters in Second Thessalonians 3.1, on that occasion, Paul even earnestly desired that they would pray that his efforts in the Thessalonian congregation preaching that area would redound truly in a free way to God's goodness and the glory of His kingdom. These matters truly are helpful to us, I think, as we approach our gospel meeting. You'll notice another set of things that seem to be personal obligations upon our part. We've mentioned prayer. Let's go to the next element on that sublist. We appreciate as we come to this point that it goes without saying. If at all possible, and if we aren't providentially hindered, you and I need to be here. We are members of this congregation. We are this congregation. We are the sponsoring host, if you please, for this gospel meeting. As surely as we desire non-Christians to come our way, as surely as we desire perhaps our fellow congregations to encourage us by their presence, it goes without saying they can't encourage us if we aren't here. We need to be clearing our calendars and perhaps have already done so making sure that the dates of May the 15th through the 18th are cleared of anything extraneous, of anything unnecessary, and that we can be present for this gospel meeting. If matters of the kingdom are most important to us, and they should be Matthew 6.33, then we need to be here during that set of days. As this congregation has made preparation along that line, what are some of the things that seem to be direct conclusions if I choose not to be here. That is to say, if the opportunity for me is to come, and yet I choose not to be here. What might some of these verses in the Psalms challenge us to conclude about ourselves? Could it not be that if I'm in that predicament, I'm very much one of the ones that needs to be there because I am in need of some changes in my life. There are some other things apparently more important. At least to me, they rank higher in priority. The psalmist began in verse number 2 of that chapter. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with a whole heart. If we seek God with a whole heart, we would not wish to be anywhere other than here during that meeting. Furthermore, a few verses later in verses 10 and 34, we note the psalmist highlighting the fact that with his whole heart, He was serving the Lord, desirous of being pleasing to God, and that was the directive of his life and of his way. We again see in verses 58, 69, and 145 of that chapter, highlighting features that lift high the banner of, nothing was pleasing to that psalmist unless it was in accordance to the fact of serving God with all his heart. Time and again, the Bible reminds us, doesn't it, that our sojourn upon this life is certainly a temporary matter, but life is no game. It is deadly serious, as Brother James Watkins is fond of saying. And he is so right. For surely we understand that from the cradle to the grave is an interval of time that you and I so dwell in this flesh, but it is a time of preparation. And what shall be your lot in mind when that time has passed us by? We do know very well Hebrews 9, 27 still reads, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. This gospel meeting may well be that critical juncture in your life or mine or those who are present when we make that turn and forevermore we have our role in regard to the presence of the God of heaven. These matters of personal preparation take us even further. What about invitations? Brother Edward encouraged us to invite each of us ten people, we can hope that so many of them will come our way. Those who are not members of the body of Christ and at this point are thus lost, are you and I inviting individuals? Are we beginning to think about people whom we can approach? Those perhaps likely as they trust us and appreciate us, they'd be at least willing to entertain the thought of coming. Let's be busy thinking about those and then carrying out those invitations that we have in mind. Flyers are shortly to be prepared. Can we distribute them, perhaps at our workplace, in our neighborhood, to others whom we know, inviting them in a special way to come? Brother Edward did note that still one of the most effective ways for advertisement is personal invitations. Someone who you know, who trusts you, and has come to appreciate the kind of person you are, if you're the kind of standing individual you should be, that might prompt in them an interest. What is it about that Christianity and what's over there at Pippin? They might well be interested in coming. Let us invite them. Share with them a personal word of invitation. And beyond that, to participate in that meeting once it does begin. Let's sing with the Spirit and with the understanding when the gentleman leads us in singing during that meeting, let's pray fervently also in a similar way, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. As we participate in all of those things, listening listening intently to the lessons that are brought, it will set an environment in which the earnestness of the moment will be appreciated. We each will be the better for that. As we display friendliness to those who do come... Quite often when surveys are made, that is one thing most will at least list. When they come to a congregation and they sense an unfriendliness, an unwelcomeness, it is highly unlikely that they will return. Thus, may we, in fact, be friendly to those visitors who come our way, thankful that they do come, happy that they've come our way, sharing with them a smile and inviting them to return, That will be important to their sense of what we are doing and just how committed we are to what's being proclaimed from the pulpit. Furthermore, as we maintain a proper environment, that is, a placement in which we lift high the Word of God, it doesn't take long for someone to appreciate what's most important to a group. If they come and they find that all that's done seems to center on this, then they quickly learn the lesson well, that's important to them and this is what they base their teaching upon, and this is how they live their life. That's the kind of message we'd like to send. We don't want it to be based on entertainment, to be based on social interaction, if you please. All that does mean we should have a Bible in hand. Are we ready to bring our Bible, perhaps even pencil and paper to take notes on what's discussed, use it in our own personal studies and our own personal discussions? These things are matters that can assist us in making these final 13 days of preparation for our gospel meeting. In fairness, we might conclude our morning lesson today with some of these thoughts. In our helpfulness and in our excitement as this gospel meeting now inches ever so close, we should realize we do have a few final days to make preparation to close on some matters that we've begun, to make ready some final issues that are yet to be finished, but all the while to do so with the central theme of glorifying and exalting God as we proclaim His truth, hopefully to some who will in fact seriously consider responding and make some changes or in fact do that which God has commanded of them. Today, where do you stand? If you, in fact, are in need of responding to the gospel, you don't need to wait two weeks. In fact, I would urge you, today is the day. With all the preparation, it still is certainly fair to say two weeks from now may never come. You and I may not live to see that time. The Lord Jesus Christ might return before then. If today you need to respond to the gospel, why not today? Will there ever be a better time in the first day of May, 2011, for you to become a member of the body of Christ? Jesus, in fact, commands this of you. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized. If we could assist you in that, why not today? If you have become a member of the body of Christ, perhaps at some distant point in the past, but gradually, slowly, but ever so truly, you have come to distance yourself from the gospel. At this point, the church doesn't hold high priority for you. The thoughts of the truth of the Bible are really on the back burner in your life. Friend, today you need to make some changes too. Come back to your first love. You maybe are lukewarm as Laodicea was in Revelation three fourteen 14-16. If so, you make the Lord sick. You need to come back to your first love in haste and in fervor and excitement and once again be on fire for the work of God. If we can pray with you today and pray for you, we'd be more than happy to do that. If either of these things today is in need of your life, will you not come and do so even now while together we stand and while we sing?